Okay, coming up is um, chat I had with Carl Ratcliffe in the last week. Uh, so me and Carl go back a ways. Well, it turns out we're both in London at the same time. So we talk about planning culture in that, that period in London, late 90s, early 2000s. Was it more of a intellectual pursuit than, you know, than perhaps it is on the whole now. And there's definitely pockets of it, of, uh, of clever stuff, uh, but just, you know, in general. Anyway, and we talked about Carl's uh, career from uh, being planner to then MD of an agency, then CEO a couple of times, then going back to planning, independent consulting, and also what he's up to uh, next, which is... Um, uh, sort of uh, going back into the sort of PR brand comms area. We also look at the, you know, is there a brand and advertising gap? How does advertising really deliver on brand? You know, obviously the, there's been talk of the death of advertising. Um, I think I joked before, stole this from Julian Schnabel. You know, people are, most of the people who are talking about the death of advertising are dead now. Uh, anyway, that's uh, uh, enough of an intro, and so uh, Carl Ratcliffe. Okay, hey Carl, how are you doing? I'm good, thanks Ian, how are you? Uh, uh, very well, freezing to death in uh, Melbourne winter at the moment. Of course, in Sydney, it's mm. just the sort of, uh, there's, you know, the seasons are all the same, aren't they? About 20 degrees. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, I think Sydney has fooled the world and itself that it doesn't have a winter for so yeah. long now that the houses are, are papper thin. So yeah. it, it's, I'm looking out at the moment and there's a, it's almost like a gale force wind that's going on. The uh, waves are huge, like it's fucking cold. Yeah. Um, and you got and you got Aus Australian glass in the windows. Have you seen yes. that? that it's not I like, yes. I walk about the house terrified. I'm going to slip and fall and then sort of <laughs> sever my head on the, on the window. <laughs> it's not like good British glass, is it? Yeah. It's nice and thick. Yeah, <laughs> double double thick. Yeah. yeah, double yeah double thick glass. Yeah. Anyway, I know I know exactly what you mean. Um, yeah. uh, but it, 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 rest assured that I am feeling your cold today because it's. It's um, it's not even a, it's not even fifteen. I don't think up here in Sydney today. Okay, well, I can't, I can't uh, think like this is kind of you know you can tell it's two British people talking about the weather. I know. You know? <laughs> Started but, with the weather. Yeah. I know. Yeah, we'll be uh, apologising next. Yeah, it and says then on, thank you a lot. Yeah, it says <laughs> on my smart thermostat uh, thing, you know, that it's thirteen degrees outside. It's like nah, not a chance. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Yeah. I think we've gone soft. But you're yeah. from Scotland. You should never have gone soft. Yeah. Well, that's it. It's been here too long, you know. Which is yeah, well, exactly. a neat sort of segue into. Um, so we we've probably known each other nearly ten years because I think we must have yeah. come out to Australia around about the same time. So I was two thousand and ten, right, yeah. and maybe you were about yeah. a year after that, were you? That's a, yeah, that's what two thousand beginning of two thousand twelve. All right. Yeah. Okay. So a little, a little, just a little bit later. Yeah. So, so we were, we were both in London at the same time. Uh, yeah. Now, I always remember because, um, because you were uh, executive planning director at Elvis for a while. That's right. Yes. Which was an agency was, yeah. I always wanted to work at. I didn't know anybody there. I didn't know you. I just thought, well, <laughs> but such a great name. I have got to go there. That never happened. <laughs> I, 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 th I think they, I think they had so, so many problems with that name because of course, um, Elvis is the, the, the real, or the old Elvis, as it were, yeah. um, the dead Elvis, um, yeah. uh, his estate, um, was constantly on the verge of suing Elvis. Right. Um, because of its name, and I think if you if you if you if you um, what we found out was that you any kind of use of his iconography or the name and any association with anything like peanut butter, funny enough, right. or um, any kind of any kind of anything at all where so, you were so any any sort of was, yeah, it's like any Elvis category entry points. 
Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's right. So, so I, somehow we got away with it, I think. But there was constantly conversation and, and, and kind of worry. And then I think Elvis um, was such a wonderful agency that it, it, and it had such kind of chutzpah and, and spirit and kind of punk ethic about yeah. it that it, it just ignored it and ignored the, the kind of the grown-ups and carried on doing what it was doing. And there was a great team back then with Martin Simmons and um, uh, um, John... Um, God, John's going to kill me. He's a good friend. I've forgotten his surname suddenly. But there's a bunch of Ben Knapp, John, uh, Martin. There's a wonderful uh, Ali Butnell, a great team of people who got together. And I think they tried to... They, they took a very sort of spirited and imaginative approach to a part of marketing advertising back then that wasn't very cool which was direct marketing yeah. and they were there when the whole digital and direct thing kind of meshed together um and they had um, a real growth streak around the whole sort of digital side of things and really rivaled both of both dare back then and ncbd and they were part of the same little group yeah. um and it was a wonderful place but then it kind of went through a doldrum uh, period where lots of people left it got sold back to the original owner he then sold it i think like for a, like, a, like nothing to a group of people who've now got it back into a place right. um i know the team there now got it back into a place where it's doing really well again and it's yeah. winning awards and it's doing great work and they had this really lovely agnostic approach about the kind of work that was good they had a not for them not everything was um an advertising solution um they had lots of different flavors of thinking they had lots of different ideas and imaginations at work and they had no ego and i think that for me was the the template i'm still looking for uh, and yeah. still and, and and still sort of on the hunt for um it was ahead of its time in many respects elvis yeah and because there was a few th around about that time because you know always i was thought of it in the same breath as kind of like a sort of st luke's type uh, you know because there, there was something kind of yeah. maverick about them as well yeah and uh, yeah that's and, interesting yeah. yeah also and, I, and, and, I, and, I, and I, no on you go oh no no well i was just i was just thinking about st luke's because i still have a lot of time um john tracy that's on very good friend john sorry john i've forgotten your surname every second john tracy <laughs> was the creative director back to back to, just moving back to um the uh st luke's i i had a lot of lot of time and i still have a lot of time for john graham i think he's yeah. super clever super smart still writing very relevant very very smart very interesting um um marketing and brand um literature um but i i love st luke's as well i thought they it looked like they were having fun yeah. whilst they were working uh, and vice versa the whole thing looked very playful um and looked just um it, it felt like you were kind of joining a band almost certainly that that's what elvis felt like and the few yeah. friends i had at st luke's early on similarly described um that uh, or that that sense whereas i think there were agencies like mother who i was i always wanted to work at mother but i never yeah. did but they were a bit more culty weren't they a bit more yeah. like widens a yeah. bit more you have to sort of be it's sort of be somebody to to, to work there yeah. and, I, think, um, I remember you know, mother because um because i guess you know it's sort of uh sort of 2000 2001 was kind of uh that was almost like their their sort of heyday. Yeah. but um yeah, i always felt that was. they that they kind of uh they really wanted to be that the, that kind of uh loose edgy thing but they but they just yeah they did some great work and stuff they did the gorilla thing didn't they yeah that was that was fallon you mean that was fallon. oh that was fallon wasn't yeah it? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, Fallon were interesting as well. Yeah, but that whole time, that that sort of uh, you know, at the turn of the millennium, a little bit yeah. before, because that was yeah. that was just that was when I sort of, because uh, I came down from Scotland to London. Yeah, uh, at that time, and it just uh, it seemed like a different, you know. I guess in those days things didn't sort of, you know, spread as far up to. To Scotland, so it was. Yeah. Uh, it was like a different world uh, to me because it just wasn't what I expected from advertising. Because London wasn't, or London advertising wasn't, or both. Well, well, uh, London advertising, you know, it was. Yeah. It was much looser, and uh, yeah, 
um, there was people like, I remember, uh, I don't know if you remember this, there was a famous uh, uh, deck, I think, that Russell Davis had written for, oh, yeah. for Honda. He was great, Russell. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and that went, I've never seen anything like that in, in my life. You know, I didn't think you were allowed to write things. No. <laughs> like, <laughs> but, but, uh, you know, uh, yeah. but they did. But then, so, you know, so I kind of, you know, my sort of thought was that, you know, definitely from a planning point of view, because I mean, I'd started off as a designer, really, and then a creative, and then yeah. sort of moved over into planning. So I hadn't had any formal training or anything. It was just, uh, it was just looking around at what else was going on and thinking, right, this is, yeah. this is how you do it. But, uh, but it was really loose, you know. But it seemed to yeah, um, it was loose. You know, so I, I wonder, was it more? So we don't want to be two old geezers like looking back. No, but we can be if we want to be. I quite like the idea of being curmudgeonly and, yeah. and sort of going, these, these kids don't know what they've got these days. Yeah. Um, I like a bit of that. Yeah. But no, no, we, but go, go on. What, what yeah, you but, no, but do you think this, I mean, well, do you agree with me? This is what I think. I think it was, there was yeah. much more of an intellectual kind of freedom yeah. uh, in, in the sort of, not pre-digital, but pre-digital dogma. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, which seems to be absent a little bit. Uh, a yeah, little I think bit. that's interesting. I, I, I would be inclined to agree with you. I think these days, um, when one looks at, at um, you know, planning decks or brand stories or, you know, marketing um, uh, prezos, they often, you know, I don't need to see another Peter Field and Les Binet, um, you know, the long and the short of it. I get it. It's brilliant. Um, and it's amazing. That has helped defend um, the role and remit and effect of advertising. But I don't, we're all saying the same thing. So, you know, it feels like there's a lot more carbon generic copy happening than previously. Certainly someone like Russell Davis, um, you know, back then people like Andy Mann, amazing, yeah. like really clever, clever people yeah. who had an ability to argue cogently and had an ability, I always thought, to really think about the drop-off point or the transaction between what was input and strategy. And that strategy might be philosophy, whatever it was, yeah. but it was strategy, that the, the, the turning, that the, the transition between strategy and creative thinking was a really fragile, delicate thing. And people thought a lot about it and were very careful around it mm. and would think um, in quite a crafted way about it. And that didn't mean that planners couldn't be creative or think mm. creatively. And in actual fact, some of my best relationships and partnerships were with creatives. Mm. But I think there was a respect there and a desire there to give the very best possible kind of evidence, if you like, yeah. to a creative brain or a creative team or whatever. And, and, and these and that these days and that's not about creators going I know better you know Trevor Beatty had a big ego on him but he'd listen to a planner and he'd yeah. listen believe it or not um, and I work with him but it's but here there's a kind of in Australia there's a couple of things happening one is you've got the big agent network agencies delivering I suppose um, you know they've got big budgets they've got big egos they've got there's a kind of a very sort of binary view of what is a creative department who is the creative director, what is the planning department, who is the chief strategy officer, who's the planning director. It's all very kind of, you do this and you do that. Yeah. It's all very siloed, weirdly, when yeah. Australia actually should be the very opposite of that. It should be much more resourceful and much yeah. more collaborative and much more intertwined. And yeah. so actually, when I go back to that time in the UK, I think people were, yes, there was a lot of smartness going on, but there was a lot of, um, it's a lot of, genuine collaboration and people did share ideas you're right like when people did like my mates were involved with the cabri gorilla and fallow and the sony ball stuff like very good friends of mine mark sinnerk and chris willingham and david Patton, and yeah. they and they did this work and, and we we were pleased for them like it, the whole industry went fuck thank fuck someone's like raising the game and that was good for the industry yeah. whereas here people get the tall poppy thing i think gets in the way a bit of that i think yeah. people don't want to see other agencies doing well. I mean, the amount of backbiting I hear about fucking the monkeys. Yeah, we should be celebrating the monkeys. We should be yeah. well done, Mark. Nice <laughs> one, you guys. You know, rather than going bloody hell, how many millions a day, mate? Yeah. So I think um, I'm not really answering your question. I'm going round and round, but I just think, I just think, yes, I don't know. There is a bit of rose tinted happening. 
I do think there's a different relationship with success and the sharing of that success and the thinking about how to get to that success um, back then in the UK kind of London advertising scene relative to what I perceived here in Melbourne and in Sydney. Mm. Um, there's less generosity, I'd say, at work. Mm. And that's a shame. Well, you, just need, a to, shame. Yeah, you just need to look at the... Um... The, the comments in Mumbrella. So. Yeah, well, they've stopped those now, haven't they? I think. Uh, I think. Uh, um, I don't know. I was on. The, I was going? on the. I was on the. A guy I know, uh, uh, John Holloway. Uh, he got. Oh, yeah. He's gone back to. Uh, he he'd been MD at RGA. Uh, oh, well. that's right. Yeah, uh, I, I saw I, John the other day. Actually, yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, he yeah. left. He left about three years ago to to do yeah. his own fintech startup thing. Or whatever. Yeah. But anyway, he's just. Which I believe back. he's done very well and sold it on so good yeah for yeah so now yeah. he's gone back, he's gone back to rga and the article right. and then just everyone was wading in with it you know oh, I, really oh he's a, he's an opinionated guy you know but and i don't always yeah, so you know, in fact i disagree with him a lot of the time but i mean thank god that you've got people that that are prepared yeah. to state an opinion you know but the hammer that, that, that is the, yeah that's not fair it's not nice yeah. and, and and that's the point isn't it about I think back, what I perceived with the likes of Andy Nairn or Russell Davis or, you know, people like that was, you know, or MT Rainey, um, they, they had the, um, they, they were big thinkers um, yeah. and they cared a lot about, yeah. they had kind of compassion and generosity around the work and, 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 and Andy Nairn is arguably the nicest person I've ever, ever worked with. He's, he's a diamond, he's lovely. Um, but all of that crew of people were, um, they managed to be very, very intellectual and very, very clever without being complete wankers. Yeah. Um, I think Bill Birnbach talked about um, the original formation of DDB being talented and nice. Yeah. And I think very much the likes of those guys were, were, that, were that. They were super smart and super yeah. lovely. And that kind of charm and that desire to, to do good and do good yeah. with your peer group and to push the boundaries of what was considered to be acceptable and decent just i don't see it as much here yeah. and, and maybe that's because i'm not australian um, but i am now you know i'm a citizen and my family are australian <laughs> and i love it here i love the country you're a citizen now yeah yeah we yeah. are now yeah so i'm uh, yeah. you know we, we've um we've, we've properly we've properly converted but yeah. i love the country and i love there's lots of stuff around australia that i think is yeah. super extraordinary not least when you sort of step outside of advertising yeah. and you step into what i argue those kind of creative territories and categories and businesses you know whether that's you know whether that's food or whether that's music or film or even literature yeah. we, we i'll say punches by this way oh yeah um and it's i, th truly, I think here's, here's my special. sort of hypothesis uh, about you know because each yeah. each major australian mm -hmm. city is like a mini world, you know. It's almost like a theme. Yeah, it park. is. That's right. You know, that's right. Like, that's uh, right. Yeah. They should change Melbourne to and call it Melbourne World, you know, because it's yes, <laughs> because yes, Melbourne every, <laughs> every single week was a, well, not now, of course, because there's nothing happening now. No, but, no. But, no. You, know, <laughs> yeah. but uh, you know, there'd be like a film festival, comedy festival, you know. Something yeah, else it's great. Going. It's great. But I suppose it's because you're a and long haul flight from anywhere that, that you know just has to be things going on all the time. Well, that's right. I think that's I think that's right. And I think Sydney probably has a slightly more kind of, and Melburnians would hate me for this, yeah. um, it does have a bit more of an international kind of transient feel to it than yeah. Melbourne. Yeah. And so perhaps because of that too, Melbourne ends up kind of delivering a bit more, you know, disproportionately relative to culture and the like. But but yeah. there's still, you know, anyway, we, we get off track. Yeah. Yes, I was going to say, because, because, yeah. <laughs> say, because we're upside down, you know, if yes. it turned the world up, then Sydney would be London and Manchester would be like the northern city. Yes, it would that's be like, interesting. It would be Manchester or something. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. That's right. Just um, Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Just before we leave London, I was just curious, so who, you know, if who were your, you know, did you have a sort of planning mentor kind of thing when you were yeah. a young, young whippersnapper? I yeah, I did. There were a couple of people I, I worked into, and I was very fortunate to work into them. And I think probably I was, well, the first person was a chap called Mike Hall, who set up, he was the planning director of Lagos Delaney. 
uh, an old agency back in the UK, in the London. And then he set up a company called Hall and Partners. And so through Mike, I right. learned the, and a lady called Helen Heyman, actually, I learned the ropes of being a qualitative researcher. Right. And, and Mike had a huge fondness and respect for advertising back then, as it was, and right. set himself up to sort of challenge the then Milward Brown that was had you know the terrible AI, AI thing they did and but, yeah. but he was obsessed with um challenging the notion of norms in advertising which i still think um he's, he was right to do so he he built bespoke models on the basis of persuasion involvement and salience yeah. and sales response to, and i still i still kind of lean on that as a an approach and method for advertising yeah. so well, mike I'm, hall was one man i was going to say when i was at weapon seven in london so we we sort oh, yeah. of partnered with Hall and Partners to do um, a sort of model for interactive advertising. You know, so this was back, you know, when digital advertising was basically us, Polk and Dare, and I, that was it. You know, so there was no, there wasn't really any, um, you know, sort of yeah. model, model I for that. Oh, God, I've not heard that name for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I interrupted there. When you got... No, no, not at all. Um, the second person was... Um, um, a lovely man, um, a, a gentleman of, of, of a, a, just a fantastic guy, really gentle, really clever. Um, I think still he might be the only person to have ever won the Grand Prix with the IPA twice. Um, and he was a chap called Tim Broadbent. And Tim sadly passed away a couple of years ago. Yeah. But um, he was the um, he was at Young and Rubicon before it became Rainy Kelly Young and Rubicon. Right. Uh, and um, he he was the son of Simon Broadbent, who was um, you know the kind of master of. I mean, without Simon Broadbent, there'd be no kind of there'd be no Byron Sharp, you know, there'd be no um, all of that kind of thinking around Ehrenberg Bass um, yeah. um, comes out of Simon Broadbent. So he was doing all of this kind of out there thinking for research and how marketing works back in the sixties. Mm. Um, so Simon, super smart guy, um, had was the father of Tim yeah. and Tim was also super smart but Tim was so humble uh and gorgeous and lovely um and um and and and, and, and sort of hired me as a as a planner from being an ad sort of an ad researcher a qualitative researcher so he yeah. with no experience he hired me and he was lovely yeah. so without Tim I wouldn't be I wouldn't have this fondness for strategy and, and planning yeah. I continue to have today but if we you know <clears throat> Going back to the origins of, of account planning, as it was, yeah, it was called. But I mean, you know, I think back in even in that in the sixties, there was typically people who'd been in market research were the were kind of plucked for those first planary uh, account planner type roles, weren't they? It was something that very much came out of research. Um, which is yeah, it was. I mean, yeah, I think definitely that's something. You know, you know, I wouldn't say that. Um, it's a particular strength of mine, but the, but the stuff I've had to learn, you know, but I think, you know, what kids now, um, well, they wouldn't know how to research anything, would they? Well, yeah, potentially. I think I, I went, I deliberately went into planning because I think most planners are autodidacts. I don't think, yeah. I don't, there's very, it's something that people go, oh, you can go on a planning course, or you can go on a, consequence course or whatever and that's great uh, don't get me wrong but i do think there's a degree of autodidact about it. i do think there's a degree of planners tend to be in the sense of it wank kind of are um tend to be kind of born not made i think you're wired in a certain way to think curiously yeah. and to, you know to, to kind of think to look for stuff and investigate and so on and um i deliberately did research for a few years so i could have a skill when i went into an agency because i realized even back then that if you're not careful, planning planning is only as good as, or is only as powerful as um, the individuals in the in the in the in the context that it's being used allow it to be. It's actually right. quite a nuanced skill, I think, and and that's why people have so fastened onto data and analytics. I think because mm. it's quite there's an output to associate with that. Mm. So I think um, having a research skill set for me was really important. So yes, I'd agree with you. Yeah. Of course, the, the thing is nowadays because you know. Well, you know, the, yeah, do you know this the the planning joke? You know, how many planners does it take to change the light bulb? <laughs> I you know, do know it, but tell me, I can't remember. <laughs> the answer is that's not an insight. You know, 
Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, <laughs> fucking yeah. insights. Honestly, yeah. I was listening. To a so thing that, yeah, I was listening to a thing. Uh, John Steele or somebody was talking, and they were saying that. Oh yeah. Uh, um, uh, wherever it was back in the day, wherever he was. Uh, and they were yeah. working on some car brand, and you know they'd had a. There was like four planners had a year, you know, to uh, to develop the the strategy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I, a four a year, you know, and then and, and you know, <clears throat> I mean, the last place I was at, you know, you were expected to pull a one pager out your ass like in a half a day. You know, it's like, <laughs> yeah, or in, in half can, an hour. I, yeah, I can just. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you what. I'll just make shit up, and that's it. <laughs> Uh, it's unbelievable. I mean, the, the ability, I mean, when I went into, when I dropped into, w once I'd sort of left planning and gone into MDing and, and, and running agencies, mm. um, I, 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 it's amazing how quickly you lose the understanding and the sensitivity around um, the extent to which planning must dwell with the problem. Because if it can't dwell with the problem, it will just come up with shit and then you have yeah. shit going in you'll have shit coming out yeah. so it, it, i had to remind myself quite often that you can't i'm sure some people think quite quickly and have a really good instinct and there yeah. are planners i know who are like that um um and i was gonna say luck, luckily uh, luckily i'm a, such a <laughs> genius that i can actually do that <laughs> unrealistic uh, but 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 for the most part it's a nonsense yeah. you know you have yeah. to so going back to planning I was surprised that when I was at DDB, I was surprised at how much time people were given for things. Um, but then very quickly, within weeks almost, that suddenly felt like not, not enough time again, if you see what yeah. I mean. Time is a relative construct, I think, yeah. particularly yeah. in planning. And what can feel like a very long time in one place, um, in actual fact, is a very short time uh, in another and vice versa. Yeah. And so I ended up, I did, I, what, where I ended up in, in, in going back to sort of more traditional planning was I remember thinking the problem, the problem often isn't about, um, isn't sort of the advertising shape or what, what the advertising is going to The problem actually is, is about the brand experience. Or the problem is your product's not very good. Or the problem is yeah. um, your supply chain's broken. Or whatever. Yeah. The problem is rarely about advertising. Let's park that one just for a minute yeah yeah before i get some ranting about that yeah because because <laughs> i want to get i want to get onto that uh, uh in a minute yes um yes but but you started to the other thing i just wanted to i, th I thought just maybe spend a bit of time uh talking about yeah. was um what was the the sort of logic so you uh obviously oh, yeah. you know you'd come out to oz but not to do a planning role because that was no. when you came out to the MD at BWM. Yeah. So, you know, agency MDs and then CEOs, it's, it's unusual to come from a sort of planning background. It's normally sort of power suits yeah. and end up doing yes. that. But, so what, you know, so I guess it wasn't- What possessed me? Yeah, tell it because because it wasn't like just right, I'll tell you what, I've maybe taken this as far as I want to go for just now, I'll go and be an MD of something. It was now yeah. I'm going to go halfway around the world to yes, uh, yeah, MD of something. So how? What yeah, was what the, what was the logic? Yeah, um, the logic was fuzzy at best. I think um, I I think I had a two things occurred to me in 2011. One was I was I felt like increasingly I was running the agency I was working in. And I don't mean ill of anyone else I was working with. What I felt was I was carrying a lot of the weight and worry of winning pitches and converting. We had a great um, streak of winning, but I felt like I started to see, I started to look at the guys I was working with who were running agents and they were doing a fine job, but I started to judge them a bit. And I started to think, well, I'd do it differently or I'd, I'd create this or I'd do that. And I started to have quite a large opinion in my own mind about about agency leadership right. and i thought if i'm gonna and then simultaneously we had a uh, my wife and i uh, had a, um, uh, a conversation about a recurring dream we had about going to australia um not america but australia we're very specific about that and i had a chat with a headhunter who was a mate and if you care for what you wish for because i was i gave a really specific brief thinking it will never come up i said one 
um, I want to um, try and run an agency. Two, I want um, people to trust me to do that. Three, um, I want them not to have a problem with me being inexperienced at running an agency or knowing what the, you know yeah. what, what drives a PL. And four, I want to do it in Melbourne because uh, I think Melbourne's a really interesting place. Little did I know. Uh, and, <laughs> no, it is. It is. Um, and um, and I said five. I want them to um, uh, you know kind of help me move out there with my family. So yeah. I thought I'd never hear from her again. And um, and a few me- a few weeks later, I was speaking to Paul Williams at BWM, and we had a great chat. And and you know, lo and behold, I was then coming to Melbourne. But yeah. the, but the brief to the headhunter was um, very specific, and I, I I wanted to go somewhere that I believe had a creative pedigree that wasn't the UK, because I yeah. thought I'll never get an MD job in, in London mm. um, because I'm a planner by trade and everyone knows me as that. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to go somewhere where I didn't have a reputation as it were in order to see what I could do. And it, and it went quite well, um, yeah. you know, relatively speaking. And I, I, I think, I mean, God, I do things again differently coming back into to, to Oz. Um, but I, learned quickly and I, I you know in paul and in jamie and in rob i had people who ultimately you know trusted me and and let me you know into their lives and into their business and then very rudely i um i always feel very guilty for this we decided to move up to sydney as a family and that was a big decision back then um and we did it quite quickly and i think that that happens with english people in particular they come over to us they make some decisions based on perception and then they mm. get to a place and go, actually, this isn't quite what I thought it was going to be. And that was less about BWM and much more about Melbourne. Yeah. Um, and so we moved to Sydney. Mm. Um, but uh, so the logic sort of became its own, um, developed its own kind of life, if you like, um, yeah. its own kind of cycle. So let's try and run an agency. Great. Let's do that in Melbourne. Great. Let's bring my family there. Great. But actually Melbourne doesn't really feel uh, isn't quite what we thought it was going to be so let's try sydney and i happened to have some conversations with some people at then an Eero, and they went quite well and then before you knew it i was um yeah. running naked across australia which was lots and lots of fun um, and different again and i think yeah. once you're on that sort of path australia the, the, the market here is so small that it doesn't take much for somebody to notice somebody doing something yeah. and therefore um you can <clears> find yourself being hunted quite quickly um, and, and, and also being dropped quite quickly. Um, it's, a, it's a very fickle market, I think, particularly oh, yeah. in Sydney. So mm. I was headhunted from Naked to work with um, uh, a chap called Anthony Friedman and his team of people, including Kat Thomas. And I, you know, I feel I feel very guilty still for moving on from those places so quickly. But in doing so, and in sort of following my impulse, um, which some might say is a sign of immaturity, but I think it's a sign of life. Um, by following my impulse, I, um, I have I've learned so much from Anthony Friedman. Uh, I have so much time and respect for him. He taught me heaps, um, heaps yeah. and heaps. Uh, and often without even realising it, I just kind of, via osmosis, I developed huge understandings of, of how business works. And it was, you know, I learned to, if you're going to hire somebody, let them do the job. Yeah. And they'll, they'll, you know, let them do it and they'll either fuck it up or they'll do it well. Mm. And they'll do a bit of both probably along the way. And Anthony, without a doubt, I would say, has been my uh, most um, inspirational um, uh, kind of leader or boss I've had personally for yeah. me, um, which is not to denigrate anyone else, just yeah. the fit I had with Anthony was very strong. And then, um, you know, he let me then go on to uh, activate my revert back to being a strategist. Or a planner, and he didn't get in the way of that. He, you know, he helped it. He helped me, right. um, and so I, he's. I've, I've sort of. I feel like I've just been able to. To go back to your original question, there is no logic really. There is just impulse. There's desire, and there's ambition. To I still believe that my best stuff's in front of me, which right. I know is naive, um, and I know is dreamy and all of that. But I still believe that um, I'm still chasing this kind of dream which is to, yeah. is to do something special, uh, memorable, and, in, you know, kind of amazing. Yeah. And you might go, well, it's only advertising, Carl. Go away and I, calm down. <laughs> but I, and that's why I've fallen out of love with advertising a bit as, yeah. as, as a kind of, as a channel. 
not so much as a craft, but as a channel. I think ad agencies go on about being here for the future and we're going to, you know, we don't, we're not worried about the um, managing consultants and so on. And you go, well, you're named after a channel. Like, that's problematic in my book. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I look at other agencies at the moment. I look at other endeavours and I think ad brand has never been so important and advertising is struggling to retain its importance and relevance. Yeah. And we'll come on and talk about that. So yeah. I'm, I'm chasing, I suppose, a... I'm a bit of a philosopher at heart. I still think there's, um, I think there's great work to be done. I think there are there are interesting kind of emerging behaviours and tendrils of um, uh, kind of thinking and, and approaches to creativity that I'm really interested in. Um, and I think the human race has never been more creative and never been more up for receiving creativity. Mm. So those things combined mean that I'm still on the hunt for. Um, doing great work with great people mm-hmm. um and i don't have time to kind of look backward um and go and, and apologize too much for what i've done so does I guess, that make but, sense yeah no totally so i guess <clears throat> that probably leads into um well it's as good a point as any to talk about yeah. what you're up to now <clears throat> um, yeah sure uh, so you know presumably you know so all of that learning and then those you know pressures and then this this you know yeah. and, and sort of figuring it out and and, and you know and, and that idea of saying well yeah. you know the best work is still is still ahead so you've yeah. now uh so would what would i don't know do I, what, what your new thing is that you independent yeah or is that a, or is that planned to be a um yeah, I mean, there's a degree of there's a degree of reality at work because yeah. we're in the strangest of times, aren't we? I mean, yeah. they say that strange times demand strange strategies. Yeah. Um, I don't know whether this is the day, which is the little consultancy I've set up. I don't think that's a strange thing to do. Yeah. Um, uh, it's potentially a, an odd thing to do when the world is what it's what, what, what the world is as it is. Although I'd argue, um, I think the world of marketing and brand is moving to very even more aggressively to a project oriented uh, place yeah. so arguably having a capacity to be flexible and agile is a useful thing right now yeah. um but but the other thing that i have come out of bdb thinking is wanting to do um wishing those guys very well but wanting to do lots of small things uh, lots of things I, I've, I've my brain is sort of busy and fizzy with them um, lots of ideas at the moment so this is the day it's one place one thing i'm going to do and i've got a few little jobs running through there at the moment a couple of clients um in particular doing something with my brother back in um back in the uk which okay. is lots of fun um but then there are other things that that allows me to do so there's a public uh, i'm speaking to somebody next week about a, a public art opportunity in australia um is an old friend a lovely old friend i've got no idea what it's going to be about but i can run it through this is the day and that's fine because that's my yeah. thing um i've also and this is i think this might be an age thing i've also started to do a bit of charity work mm-hmm. um and so i've come across a uh, a great little charity run by a fantastic team um called step two foundation and they create built have built schools and fresh running water and the like at um very remote places in the jungle in cambodia Okay. Um, so there's about a thousand people now that um, are being that are kind of gone through their system and are being educated. And education is the one thing that kind of it, 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 it's if you educate a, an impoverished community, education is the thing that gets them yeah. out of that impoverishment and into a better place. So education is all the is, is the driving kind of mission of step two. So I'm there's no money in that, but it's 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 enjoyable, it's fulfilling. Mm. And so it's, what? So I mean, obviously, this is uh, a long way from from sort of advertising and comms. Well, it's, it is. Although how the, other, it, the final yeah. thing I, I'm doing, I was going to say, sorry, is um, <laughs> is comms related. In that right. I am helping, and I, I've not told anyone this actually. So you're the first person right. for me to tell. Um, I think I think it might be in the press next week, but. Um, uh, I am helping a small agency also uh, as a managing partner. So on a sort of, um, I mean, it's my kind of core focus, I suppose, in a commercial sense. But it's yeah. in my brain, it's not my only focus. There's lots of things that I'm um, thinking about and, and, as I say, buzzing about. 
Um, but the, the, the agency that I've started to do some work with actually is um, a little company called Magnum & Co. Okay. Um, founded by um, some really nice, really sound people 15 years ago, um, Michelle um, and Katie, and another chap called Carl, who I used to work with at Naked. Um, so those people I'm beginning to work with um, now, um, I'm enjoying it. And I'm enjoying it because all of the things, I think, including Magnum & Co, are independent. None of them are um, wedded to a um a bigger thing or entity all of them are pursuing what they're doing on the basis of it being um right for them right. and so whether that's working with the likes of martin farrell the public art project in london whether that's helping step two foundation um in cambodia or working with magnum and co here in sydney and through australia um these people are people I kind of relate to and connect with on a yeah. on a soul level, really. If I'm yeah. being a bit, is that of, is that Carl Mulgridge? Yeah, yeah, um, that's yeah. right. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah really thought, nice guy. Yeah, when you said Magnum, I thought, hang on a minute, that rings a bell. Uh, yeah, yeah. And they, and I think they've got a really interesting point of view on what I would call brand communication. So yeah. I'm not talking about brand strategy. Yeah. I'm not talking about architecture. I'm talking about output that is extrapolated from brands. So I'm talking about stuff that's not just advertising flavored, although it can be. Yeah. Rather, it's it's voice and idea and story and all of that that kind of zips through paid on the moon. And yeah. so brand suddenly, I think, which is a very important and imperative thing for CMOs right now, um, as has been proven in lots of different pieces of research just recently, I think we are better placed to look after that worry around brand rather than being an ad agency that's got to kind of hold up and sustain a head hour model and a retainer model and it's got lots of producers and creators and everyone's working to make ads yeah. um and people might pretend that that's not the case but that that is the case um, so we've, we've so we've both seen so i mean you shared it with me Ed, but I'd, yeah. I'd seen it going around which was the um um is it a Kantar report or something? But there was two. Yes, sort of, it is. Yeah, yeah, that's two, right. That's two right. sort of uh, graphs, you know. So they have a panel of of CMOs, uh, whatever. Yeah. And, and last year, brand strategy was, you know, quite low on the totem pole of, of priorities. Yeah. You know, in terms yeah. of this sort of self-reporting, uh, but this year it's gone up to the up to the top. Yeah, um, that's right. Now, who, you know, I wouldn't have predicted that. Uh, no, no, uh, I wouldn't have done. Uh, I wouldn't have done. No, but um, and I guess you know. So advertising, you know, particularly big budget, uh, you know, big media advertising has you know traditionally, um, you know, when you talk about brand strategy, those big mm. advertising statements, you know, are mm. uh, you know are intrinsically linked now without yeah that's right with, without being you know it's funny I, I kind of find myself coming full circle you know because like you know maybe 10, yeah. ten years ago you know when i came i because and then how i ended up in australia you know is i'd been a mouthpiece in london for digital and social and advertising mm. dead and people want to have conversations with brands yeah <laughs> all that kind of stuff and then i realized that yeah. was that was a word of horseshit and i kind of yeah you know and then sort of uh you know reacquainted myself with sort of normal you know brand yeah. planning but then now i'm coming to the thing again i'm thinking yeah oh, i agree you know, yeah I you, agree. Know, you know there's no no doubt you know big screen tv you know big production piece of film you know fantastic brand building if anyone was watching it but yeah <laughs> but, this, but well, that's the thing isn't it it's it's, it's brand 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 the notion of brand a brand is a very powerful thing. You can see it on the spreadsheet, literally, in terms yeah. of a tangible asset. Advertising is not a powerful force. It can be an influential force, yeah. but it is not powerful. Yeah. And, and and it, it never has been. And well, that's it, it. I think even... I think you know, the likes of... Yeah. I was going to say, like, the, you know, I think that's a... In the sort of Byron Sharp stuff and everything, you yeah. know, it's kind of, you know, they're, yeah. they're, well, the Ehrenberg Bass stuff, I mean, they're very 
clear to say that advertising, even when it works well, it's a weak. Uh, well, that's right. They do say that to, to, to their credit. And there's lots yeah. of stuff they do say that's reasonable, but it's the penetrate. I mean, unfortunately, people talk a lot about the reach and penetration element or aspect of Byron yeah. Sharp. And of course, you know, the best way to get reach and penetration still is if you do big fat TV media bar, you know, because yeah. you're, you know, and I think then what you're, what you're, what people's, what people neglect to talk about is the quality of that impression. Um, if you're trying to, you know, I think increasingly attention is where things kind of where the rubber hits the road for brands. Um, I realize there is something called low involvement processing, but for yeah. the most part, you know, I've always found it it's quite a hard thing to sell, right? You can't, the idea of a strategy being low involvement, yeah. just, I just, you know, I can, I can, I can whilst it might exist, it's a, it's a, it would be an expert, um, you know, uh, pitch or argument that could sell low involvement as a strategy into a brand um <laughs> it's, it's one of those no things it, but it doesn't matter <laughs> yeah, it's one of those things you just kind of you have to know but you never see it yeah. you know <laughs> no exactly exactly right exactly yeah. right poor old robert he yeah. um but the um but the um the idea i've lost my thread there which is classic oh, yeah. me um, anyway, it, it uh, disconnect but, uh, uh, brand and you know advertising used to be intrinsic. Yeah, there is, a, there, there is, a, yeah, that, and, and I think I think you know I've spent time in in, in Australia making some uh, you know or helping make contributing mm. to um, an ensemble effort, whether that's Westpac, whether that's Kmart, you know, big 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 ads campaigns that are successful, that have salience, that are recognised, that do generate awareness. But they, in, the, in and of themselves, are only part, a small part of the efficacy of the brand. Uh, right. They're only a small part of how that brand can connect um, and orient association and win uh, and, yeah. and, 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 and succeed. And I think that's why I'm enjoying working with the likes of Magnum. I'm seeing an, a, a thorough understanding of brand communications rather than advertising communications yeah. and i'm seeing a thorough understanding of the extent to which those communications can dent and affect culture yeah. um i think things can you know great if i look at brands right now that i think are sort of i suppose this might segue into what we're going to talk about as well brands that are kind of getting that that recognize the the relationship between themselves what they deliver the culture that they're firing into and the success that can happen there were some really interesting examples of brands that get that they don't actually necessarily spend any money on advertising per se yeah. uh, as we understand it rather their brand is written about talked about shared about in that kind of earned yeah. media way so that earns yeah. at the heart of what they are uh, about and what people know of them um but um it's 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 you know I, I, I find it interesting and I'm sure I'll continue to find it interesting. And, yeah. you know, it makes sense for big agencies to talk about Binet and Field. Um, without a doubt, there continues to be a, a belief and then seems to be some really interesting evidence that suggests that TV together with other channels can create um, a net profit effect for businesses over that, time. I think, you know, the Binet and Field, you know, I'm sure it's correct everything, but I mean, you know, yeah. Yeah. Where where it helps big agencies is it it, it convinces clients to uh, to spend money. <laughs> well, it does, it does, and it you know it's very hard to prove the effectiveness of a yeah. small marketing budget in the yeah. bloody long term. Like yeah. you can't you can't really. I mean, you can yeah. try, but it's bloody hard. Yeah. Um, I've got I've got a little uh, hypothesis. I'm trying to. I haven't fully figured it out yet. But tell me what you think of this, right? So mm. I've been reading about. I can't remember the guy's name. That wrote the book now it was written in the 60s the book's called the image and uh yeah and uh, he uh coined the um the, the phrase the pseudo event right which is which is what we would call a pr stunt you know there's nothing about public relations it's just about publicity so it's yeah. about it's about getting things in the news you know and i remembered uh, one of the first things i worked on uh, out here was the, for a, a BBDO for NAB, you know, the, it was uh, the breakup. And so it was, yeah. and it was, you know, it was a great campaign, but fundamentally it was bullshit, you know, because, you know, it played on the fact that people thought there was some sort of 
cabal of the banks and they were breaking up from the banks. <clears throat> you know, totally, yeah. uh, you know, rubbish. But it was designed to get reported on, you know, and that was, that right. was, that yeah. was what it was, get on the 7 p.m. news and everything. And yeah. you look at, yeah. uh, and so at the time I didn't know about pseudo events, but I, you know, I knew that that's what it was. But you look around now and uh, one of the ones that, that kind of caught my eye was from McDonald's. And, oh, yeah. uh, and it was all over Twitter and LinkedIn and Facebook. And it was um, it was the type sandwich, that's what it was called. So it was basically they'd listed a bunch of ingredients, you know, in, a, in that. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, Cooper, yeah, yeah. Cooper Bold yeah. font. Yes, uh, yes, yes. But there was, uh, but all the images that circulated were obviously studio mock-ups, right, of billboards, yes, yeah. right? But no one yes. ever saw a real billboard. You know, <laughs> so yes. it's kind of yeah. like, so it's kind of, uh, you know, it's very sort of postmodern, you know, it's, yeah, it's, uh, you know, that sort of whatever. Bodger so it probably or, never ran. It never ran, but yet, brilliant. But yet it did, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, bizarre. I know what you mean. I suppose the thing about brand advertising, it's not actually necessary for it to have run. It just needs to have the appearance of having run. Uh, 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 exactly. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's probably that's that's probably post 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 postmodern. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. I, I, it's funny. I mean, it's that's yeah. It's interesting. I mean, and and that sort of approach appears, uh, uh, you know, appeals to a cognoscenti, doesn't it? Yeah. And of course, even Maccas has its um, um, cognoscenti audiences. I love a yeah. bit of Maccas. Yeah. Well, of course, you <laughs> know, not to say I mean, that I am cognoscenti. Yeah. But they're a classic postmodern brand, you know, because if you know, they one, are. one of the sort of elements of postmodernity is the breakdown of the distinction between high and low culture yeah uh, yeah uh, you know mcdonald's uh you know can, can quite exist in, in that space you know so, so well it deliberately i mean as one of its sort of brand values it deliberately talks about hyper reality you know which yeah. is you know in a world that's struggling you know in search of authenticity in search of real in search yeah. of kind of you know good you know good health and, and yeah. well-being um, there's a brand that's deliberately skewing. I mean, it has, Mac has done loads of great work, and I, I know that, you know, from having worked on it, uh, particularly with Ronald McDonald charity and so on. But um, it, it deliberately wants to live in a hyper real world, which is yeah. it, which is cartoony, you know, where people are kind of everyone is sort of weirdly equal, and there is no judgment and all that. Yeah, it's, it's a bit like you know, because Andy Warhol used to say, uh, you know, that uh, Coca-Cola was the most sort of you know, democratic or egalitarian brand, you know, because it didn't matter if you were yeah. a, bum, a bum on the street or the president, everyone gets the same Coke, you know, you could, yeah, say, yeah. You could say the same about a Big Mac, you know, it's the, yeah. you know, nobody, yeah, gets a right. better, nobody gets a better one, they're all the same. You know? Yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right. Um, I was thinking of brands that, go on, sorry. No, 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 no carry on. Oh, well, I was just thinking of brands that sort of, today are managing to sort of sit between that place that is um, very much about brand. And I'm not talking about brand purpose because that's a load of nonsense, but yeah. it, it's where brand is front and center, but the solution isn't advertising. The solution is behavioral perhaps, or the solution is, is about that kind of comms uh, experience. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I was thinking of, I was just, doing a bit of reading i've been reading john grant's new book called greener marketing and i recommend it thoroughly okay. i'm not sure that it's out yet but if it isn't um it's definitely worth he's done um, one getting it. he did a green one before didn't he? yes yeah in 2004 he published it right. that's correct yeah and right. he's now done it again because he thinks that he's sort of done this really interesting piece of research that's that shows you the kind of undulation and the pendulum that is um you know 2004 um, green and the notion of um, sustainability, triple bottom line, all of that was very, very um, salient back then and it's dropped away and it's come back in the last year or two, um, particularly on the back of the whole plastic worry. Mm. Um, so it's got, he's kind of demonstrated that it's ebbed and flowed, but we're amongst it again. And actually with COVID, I think a lot of people have started to go, even kind of you know ordinary punters have started to go, well, if we can show and if we can show this much urgency and collectivism and, 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 and kind of a responsibility around a pandemic, then why can't we do the same for, um, yeah. for global warming and, I, and or for the climate emergency, which I think is a really clever bit of yeah. repackaging and relabeling. 
But um, so he, he was talking about a couple of brands, which I'm going to just steal mercilessly from, from John because I'm in good company. But he was talking, you know, I don't know whether you remember the Tesco um, uh, computers for schools thing from years yeah, ago yeah, yeah, yeah. in the early noughties as an example of, uh, 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 of sort of brands doing good, you know, good corporate citizenship. Yeah. Um, and and, and interestingly, today, um, in, in, in 2020, I think they're doing um, what I'd call a really good um, version of a charity partnership. Um, and perhaps you know, it could become, again, as they did back then, that sort of thing that you that you constantly talk about and go, well, I want to do one of those. So they've they've teamed up with um, WWF, um, right. um, uh, not not the not the wrestlers, um, in a four-year yeah. ambitious oh, it's yeah. an old joke in a four-year ambitious program called Changing the Food System to Save the Planet, right. um, and they have um, they've kind of come out with all of these um, what could be seem to be platitudes. Um, uh, and but what they're doing is reducing the environmental impact of the average UK shopping basket by half, and they aim to do that without increasing prices. Um, and I'm just going to read you here, um, and to have an additional knock-on knock impact by influencing consumers and others in the food industry to follow suit. To know if they're succeeding, the partnership is developing a new way to measure the total environmental food impact, impact of food. Um, so they, it's about helping everyone eat more sustainably, restoring nature in food production, and eliminating waste, both food waste um, and packaging waste. And they've backed their launch announcement with new research showing that 80% of UK shoppers say they want supermarkets to do more to reduce the impact their food purchases have on the planet. And um, you know, one immediate outcome is a food waste program. So they've partnered with Jamie Oliver now to teach community centers to, look, to cook deliciously healthy meals from the surplus sell-by date food that supermarkets buy. And like yada, yada, yada. And yeah. it just goes on and on and on. And, and it becomes a sort of mean a genuine partnership, not just to do good in a kind of vague, purpose-ridden sense, but actually to to do use, like to be yeah. useful. And yeah. I think that's that whole thing about doing brands that I still go back to. Like, if you're going to be a brand that has an effect on people in this modern environment that we're now living in, this modern context, think about uh, doing something. What is it that you're yeah. doing? What are, what are you bringing to the party? Yeah. Um, he talks a lot as well about Karma Cola. Do you know them? Uh, no. you come across them no. they're really lovely little brands um that make cola of all things yeah. karma um if you go online check them out they um they come from they've got a beautiful little story they basically everything that they sell they use the, the the product the brand to to give money back to the various communities um that, that they um uh, do business with yeah. so over the let's just read a bit about these guys they've started out within a fair trade organic fruit importer in new zealand and the founders have decided that soft drinks um, were right for an ethical makeover. So they've done all of this stuff um, uh, behind um, these set of brands that tell a story of when they went to visit um, a particular place in, um, in the Gola Forest in Asia. Um, and they, um, they talk um, incessantly about their dedication and passion to finding schools, helping local communities. And so it all sounds a bit worthy and a bit do-good. But mm. if you go online and check it, it just it looks exquisite. It's really mm. beautiful. The drink's really good, um, and it's it's you know if you're going to build this sort of business, um, they talk about building it with their bare hands, and right. they talk about it. Um, they just have um, they've got this sort of wonderful story where um, they are using a product to yes make some profit, but they're also using it um, uh, to be good for the planet and to be good for, you know good you know good for people as well. So yeah. there's a kind of that triple P thing or that triple bottom line thing that people talked about, economists talked about in the 90s, yeah. these people are actually doing it. So two brands there, Tesco, big fat brand, Karma, a New Zealand brand, but both trying to do something, trying to give something back. Um, and, and, and there's no shame in making some money from that. Yeah. Um, but they are, they're not just sort of touting meaningless purposes as inspired by Simon Sinek. Well, exactly. um, but, you know, brand, you know, all brands' purpose. You know, I mean, their purpose is to make money. You know, <laughs> but if you can, well, that's right. But well, that's why can, these guys are interesting. Yeah, but if you can do good at, at, at the same time, you know, there's a lot of connection with, with what you're talking about there, because I, because I recorded something with uh, Sergio a 
couple of weeks uh, yeah, ago. Yeah. And he and he talks about this. He's got his own he's kind of trademarked it or whatever. It's it's urban brand yeah. utility, you know. So that's it. That's, yeah, that's nice. It's yeah. in the same it's in the same sort of area, you know, it's in a post you know, if, if kind of advertising. Yeah, I, mean, I guess product. the most the most obvious example is yeah. you know, is is Patagonia but you know, I still applaud Patagonia because they're, they it's they're a cliched example of this kind of mission based um, branding um, because it's so successful. Mm. Um, I suppose years ago I would have I would have always looked to the likes of Pret a Manger in the UK as a really good utilitarian brand that you yeah. know give you decent 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 grub at a decent price. But I think they're in yeah. trouble now, aren't they, in the UK yeah. because of um, COVID. There's another brand I've come across. The last brand I've just thought about. Um, they're a subscription based wine club, um, something close to my heart, and they're called Wink. Um, which is quite a cool name, but they've they've become one of the top 50 wineries in the US by flipping that sort of typical business model on its head. So while traditional vintners will they'll make a wine and they'll market it because of course that's what you do. What they've done is they've created bottles based on more than five million customer ratings from its millennial subscriber base. So right. you know it's that you know we'll what wine do you want? We'll make it for you and we'll sell it to you. <laughs> Um, which I kind of, you know, I don't, I, you know, I'm sure there are people in, 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 in wine snobs are rolling around and they're, you know, going rolling their eyes and think that that's awful. But yeah. I kind of like the, the I like it. I just, you know, it's got it's zippy and it's interesting and it's giving people what they want. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. Well, that's it. I mean, I remember reading some research there that kind of, uh, I can't remember what it was, but it was about people who, who actually buy the same wine twice. Like ever, yeah. <laughs> Which, yeah, you know, because there's um, there's very little uh, brand recognition in, in wine uh, category. That's there. right. Um, That's right. So you might yeah. as well, you know, you so might as well make if it. You can, if you can cultivate that, then uh, you know, because even if you can get someone to buy two bottles a year, you're probably doing better than the, than the, the well, rest of the yeah. competition. That's yeah. right. Yeah. And there's a lot of, you know, I, I, you know, I mean, there's lots of examples of things yeah. being turned on the head, aren't there, and yeah. so on. And for every, you know, successful case like Wink, there's thousands that aren't. But I do like, increasingly, I think brands are generating, uh, you know, extraordinary status, um, association, and connection. And it, yes, it includes advertising at times, but it doesn't start there. Yeah. Um, it starts with this notion, this strong, inspirational definition of brand. Yeah. Um, so if you first and foremost. do do something first, then you can always advertise what you've done. <clears throat> well, that's right. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, and I think quite often I see, I see, I have seen, and I'm sure you have, basically, you know, definitions of brand or brand wheels or brand onion whatever you want to call them that just aren't that aren't really that aren't really true and i think truth is something increasingly that people anticipate and expect from not just brands but from all sorts of walks of life yeah. in order to trust them more Definitely. um but there we go anyway <laughs> I, i'm ranting at you again Ian, again you've got me going yeah <laughs> Okay, listen. Well, we're we're over our hour now, so I can't. Oh, I've know, gone on. Yeah, so, so it's not. It's not uh, yeah, no, no, no. I mean, it just goes up as it is. But it's not. It's not the Joe Rogan show, so we don't get into three-hour uh, epics. No, good, good. Yeah. No, that'd be way too much. But thank you so much for allowing me to drivel on. And and as yeah. I say, um, well, I was going to um, say just just before we end, if if people want to get in touch with you to to work with you sure. or or with Magnum. Um, how, sure. do you, how do you want to um, be contacted? Uh, the best thing is probably is just approach me on LinkedIn. Okay. Um, I'm on LinkedIn and I'm a relatively active user. So um, I'll, if you message me on LinkedIn, Carl Ratcliffe, um, I will, um, I'll absolutely uh, be polite and come back to you. Okay, brilliant. All right. Well, thank you very much for the chat. And for thank sharing, you, Ian. Sharing your wisdom. And, uh... I'm not sure it was wise, but it was certainly <laughs> lots of fun. Um, thank All you, right. my friend. And you take care, look after okay. yourself, and okay. um, I will see and speak with you very soon. Okay, cool. Bye bye. Thanks, Ian. Take care. Bye bye.